0: In reality television, the people are represented by two separate but equally obsessed attorneys. This is their podcast.
1: I'm Sessie, And I'm Angela. And this is The Bravo Docket. Hello, and welcome back to The Bravo Docket. Today's an exciting episode, I think, for me. I, I don't know about you, Angela, but I'm really excited. We're finally going backwards to our long list of topics that we had when we started this podcast. Instead of hitting the late breaking news of Girardi and Shaw, which we'll do Shaw updates, of course. But LVP's been on my personal list for a really long time, and that is the subject of today. Lisa Vanderpump's many lawsuits, which cover a ton of different subject matters. Do you want to do a formal introduction to this one, like the last one, uh, Justice oh, Angela? Oh, yeah.
2: Okay. And I am excited about this one because a lot of this is very similar to the type of stuff that I used to do when I had my own firm. So both suing, you know, representing plaintiffs and then defending commercial property owners and defending businesses. So this is kind of be fun for me but yes all right Well, the Bravo docket is now in session. On today's docket, we have multiple cases against the Vanderpumps, both Lisa and Ken Todd and their businesses, which it did take
1: us a minute to find some of their business names, actually.
2: So, Justice Ceci,
1: what's the first case on the docket? Yeah, so the first case, or I guess the first subtopic we're going to cover is slip and falls at Lisa Vanderpump's restaurants. And this is something that happens if you own a business. You're going to have people get injured in your business. And you should probably know how to defend yourself if this type of case comes up. And Lisa Vanderpump faced two different slip and falls, or I guess trip and fall cases at SIR, which Angela and I had the pleasure of dining at SIR. And we dined in the back area, which is where one of these plaintiffs claims her trip occurred. And I will I will say there is some, an evenness back there. I spilled my drink when I sat down, I remember. <laughs> uh, but that's not to say anyone was right here. So the first case that we're talking about is Strong versus Sir. Do you want to talk about what, what that one is about? Yeah, I'll just do a little intro. So this case involved a woman
2: named Melissa Strong, who I believe has acted and produced and been on a couple reality shows, if I have her correct. Really beautiful girl, if the person I'm looking at is correct. And she had her like a little tiny wedding reception at Sir, and she was wearing five inch heels. And according to her, she tripped and fell over a, on the, the way, I guess, how do we describe where it is? It's kind of like when you're going out to like the back patio, right? So there was like a little lip or whatever in the concrete or a little edge. And according to her, she tripped over it in her wedding dress and also hit her head. And there's a lot of deposition testimony
1: and a lot of stuff going on. So how, where do you want to take it from here? Sure. So she sued for general negligence and premises liability. And not to get too into the weeds on the law here, but this is a tort case, which as I've mentioned before, I absolutely love torts. It's like the classic personal injury types of cases. Should I talk about like the basic negligence duties of care owed? Um, I always found that fascinating in law school. Yeah. And then we can yeah. get more in depth in the facts. So when you have to prove that someone is negligent, one of the first things you prove is that there was a duty owed to you. And the highest level of care It's kind of like it's tiered. And the highest one is the duty of care owed to invitees or customers. And invitees are people that a landowner invites to their property or that a business owner invites to come dine with them. Essentially, if you're making money off of the person's visit, you owe them the highest level of duty of care. And that means that you have to reasonably inspect the property for hazardous conditions and give people a warning if there is a hazardous condition and fix the hazardous condition. So here it would be going out and looking and making sure there are no cracks in the concrete. And if there is like putting up a a sign or what are these called? Cones. (laughs) A cone (laughs) Uh, over it and making sure you get it fixed. And I think that makes sense. Like if you are benefiting off of someone being there, then you have a duty to make sure that you're keeping it up to date and that no one's going to get hurt when they're dining at your restaurant. I won't get into this much detail in the other ones, but there's a duty owned to licensees. So this is if you have a friend come over to your apartment. You're not making money from them coming over, presumably. So so you don't have a duty to inspect the property like you do for the invitee level, but you do have to repair hazards. So if you know you have a big old hole in the middle of your floor and you invite people over, you do have a duty to fix that hole before they come on by. The lowest duty of care is to trespassers, which in law school, I was like, what the heck? Like you have to... You owe a duty to people that just break into your property, but you do. And of course, different jurisdictions have different levels of this. But in California, specifically, you have to warn trespassers of dangerous conditions. So say you have like, I don't know, (laughs) I can't think of one, like a big old swamp of quicksand, which quicksand used to be so fascinating. And everyone, when I was little, I had a fear of quicksand. Oh,
2: my God, same. I thought (laughs) when I was little, I thought quicksand was going to be much more of a problem in my adult life than it's (laughs) like, And I I mean, I lived in, I grew up in Florida, so it's like almost reasonable because I'm like, there's got to be some quicksand around here. But it's, no, like, we've not, like, that's not no. a thing. Why did we all it's think quicksand was
1: so, like, prevalent in... I think I've watched a YouTube video about this. I watched the weirdest YouTube videos, and it was, like, a sexy movie trope because women got trapped in it, and it was this weird trope. I don't know why, but in the 70s, there were a ton of movies, like, action movies where women were trapped in quicksand.
2: All I remember is, like, The Princess Bride, and I don't think it, was it quicksand, but it's like, you know, when they're in, like, the... The the thing with the ROUSs and they're trying to attack the dread pilot Roberts slash Wesley and then he gets in the sand. I like that's but I, I don't know. For some reason we all I think we all thought quicksand was gonna be a huge problem.
1: There's a fear. There's a huge <laughs> fear. But I think we're all okay. However, if you have property in California and you have to big have a big pit of quicksand, you have to warn potential trespassers of that. And that's the duty of care that you owe to People. So in these slip and fall cases, like this strong one that she filed against, sir, Lisa Vanderpup owed customers the highest duty of care. And uh, according to Strong, she breached that duty.
2: So do you remember from law school the concept of attractive nuisance? Because mm-hmm. I always loved that phrasing. I always
1: thought. Like, I want to touch it. Yeah. But, well, yeah. <laughs> or like if you
2: have like a trampoline or a swimming, like, that's why you have like a fence around your swimming pool or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. I was I was like that.
1: like Yeah. And like children. It was always like children are breaking into your property to like yeah. go on your trampoline. And then if they trip, you might be sued. It's like, what the heck? But that child trespassed. Yeah. I don't <laughs> think Texas has like quite as uh, is quite as benevolent towards trespassers as California is. <laughs> I imagine they're not. <laughs>
2: Um, so this case, we've got some decent deposition testimony where they, you know, it's described. And I kind of wanted to talk about that a little bit because I think it's like really accurate. So I, I feel like plaintiff's attorneys get a bad rap a lot of the time and there's, you know, ambulance chasers and whatnot, but let's say that you do like, it is your wedding reception and you are, have like a small intimate reception and then you, get hurt over I mean I think it's obvious that especially the way sir is marketed that people are going to be wearing heels in there you know so yeah let's say this did happen and you tell a friend you're like hey I'm I got hurt blah 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 this was a big issue for me and then they recommend you to a plaintiff's attorney and you go to their office I kind of wanted to like say like here's kind of what goes on so when you go in Typically, the plaintiff's attorney will sit you down and ask you to explain what happened. They might ask you a couple times to see if you repeat your story the same way. I used to do that when people would come in because I wanted to see, like, the truth doesn't change. And so if someone's telling the truth, they have an easy time kind of repeating the story over and over again. Then they'll ask you, like, what happened? Where did you? Did you seek medical attention? Did you have medical bills? Did you miss any time from work? And those types of questions are just to estimate your damages. They'll probably give you, like, an intake form to fill out. And then, depending on what your case is, the plaintiff's attorney will probably sign you up. And then, when that happens, you probably immediately will sign a bunch of releases so that the plaintiff's attorney can get your medical records from the places that you've sought treatment and then also so if there's any other records that they need to obtain they can you know show that they have the right to request that information on your behalf now if you're a business owner and there's a slip and fall there's a different procedure so what will happen there is once if you get a demands letter or if you if a you know complaint or petition is filed against your business and you receive that then you immediately turn that over to your insurance company because you know, as businesses, you're supposed to have liability insurance, and then your liability insurer will essentially take over from there. And they'll pick the attorney for you. It's very similar to what we described in our malpractice with doctors, like they'll pick the attorney for you, the attorney for your insurance company will contact the plaintiff's attorney, and you may not even have to do much if it doesn't get beyond the, you know, demand complaint stage. So that's pretty much what That happens and how that works there. So obviously, though, one of the things that happens is you get you get someone in your business observes it. They should write down an incident report and the plaintiff's attorney will request all of that information as well, either in discovery or in some type of preliminary demand. Or they might send a preservation letter, which will require the business to keep all of the, you know, CCTV or any recordings they have of the inside of their business or wherever the incident occurred and to save any documentation that they have. Do you want, Ceci, do you want to pull up the, did you want to go through some of the depot testimony on this and kind of, I mean, it's pretty standard, but I think people might be interested.
1: Well, I mean, I just, uh, to summarize, I thought it was interesting how it seems like defendants here, so, sir is trying to paint the picture that she drank a lot and that she was wearing new high heels. And that is the reason that she tripped. And then she, in return, argues, no, I wear high heels a lot. And I had maybe one drink and a sip of another because I was so stressed out about my wedding reception. So I liked reading those two narratives and how they were competing. Was there anything else from the depot?
2: I mean, yeah, I think that was pretty much it. I just thought, you know, (laughs) it was <laughs> they asked her what kind of shoes she was wearing, how often she wears those types of shoes. <laughs> uh, they even asked her for the brand of the shoes. they asked her what her dress was like. they obviously they asked her how much she'd been drinking and she said she'd been to you know another restaurant slightly before that. They asked her who she talked to. These are all you know pretty standard questions that would be asked in a a case like this. So we tried to find to see if maybe she had posted any pictures, but we couldn't find any. <laughs>
1: I want to. See, yeah. Show us the shoes. Yeah. I wanted to see the shoes. What's notable from reading all this is that it does appear that they fixed the crack following the incident. However, in this case, in many cases like this, evidence of subsequent remedial measures, oof, hard to say, is inadmissible generally as evidence of fault. And that's because the law and whatever the court people don't want you to avoid fixing something because you're afraid you're going to get found guilty because you fixed it. Of course, we want people to fix things. To hold otherwise would prevent people from fixing cracks in floors. So do you know what, what the outcome of this one was? I believe this one's settled. I
2: mean, it definitely didn't go to a jury trial. So it looks like we like on the docket, you can't tell for sure, but it's it was dismissed. So it looks like it was settled.
1: Okay. And then there was a similar incident, although we don't have the full details in Bradley versus Sir. I think Bradley fell on a crack April 20th, 2019, and the case is still ongoing as of December 2021.
2: So I will say when we went to Sir, when we were in L.A., I think I even when we were walking up, I think I even made a joke because it was really dark and like the sidewalk outside was pretty cracked and uneven.
1: Yeah, I think there were there was, like, construction going on or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, do you remember I spilled my drink all over yeah, myself? Yeah, the, well, the table was really wobbly. <laughs> I was like, all right, guess I'm not drinking. <laughs> but I didn't sue. Maybe I could have sued.
2: What were your damages?
1: <laughs> my $15 cocktail. <laughs> I mean, that's fair. <laughs> so let's move on to another Sir lawsuit. I think... This one got some attention. (laughs) Um, Yeah, a lot of attention. I remember this one. And this is against Sir... For a case of extremely bad food poisoning, if you don't like listening to gross stuff, I would skip ahead. Skip this one. <laughs> do you want to talk about the facts of this case? I know you love the the grossness. Sometimes. I don't love grossness. I do love medical you like gross stuff. stuff. I don't. I. I. I well, I feel food like poisoning is medical. Okay. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs>
2: no, no. I mean, like, yeah. OK. I think I want to just maybe read some some of the facts alleged in the complaint. So it says, on August 19, 2017, plaintiff arrived in Los Angeles, California via airplane at approximately 10 a.m. for a vacation with six family members, including her sister, cousin, daughter, granddaughter, son, and niece. It's a lot of details. Plaintiff had not eaten breakfast or lunch that day, nor did she eat on the airplane prior to her arrival in Los Angeles, California.
1: I mean, how often do you go without eating all day? I can't go, I feel like... No, I can't. Longer than Uh -uh. two hours without... Especially when traveling. I'm like, I get treats because I'm traveling. Yeah, like
2: (laughs) flying on the plane is terrible, so I get to eat whatever I want. And if I want a cocktail at eight in the morning, I'm going to have like six of them. Because there's no rules in the airport. Yeah. Mm -mm. Okay. So, but according to this lady, she had not had anything to eat. And then she says, plaintiff felt... Fit and healthy upon her arrival in Los Angeles and prior to her arrival, and had no apparent signs or, cyst- or symptoms of gastrointestinal distress. Prior to her arrival, Plainfa made a reservation for dinner. It says at the subject restaurant. And I'm like, did they forget like a replace, find and replace? Because it was at, is that sir, sir or Villa Blanca? Sir. It's at Sir. Okay. With her family. So I'm assuming with that large group of people. And it says it, it makes makes it clear to note that she got there 15 minutes before in advance of the reservation time. They checked into the front desk. During this time, plaintiff consumed no beverages or food. So...
1: Carl, no- <laughs> have some bread.
2: Okay. Once, <laughs> once seated at the table, plaintiff and her family reviewed the food menus provided by the staff. This, this complaint is written in an interesting way. Plaintiff sat next to her granddaughter and niece across from her sister at the table. Again, not really a necessary detail. Plaintiff placed an order for scared fish and water. It says scared. I think it's supposed to say seared. Seared. Oh, no, I'm dyslexic. It says seared. <laughs> 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 okay, plaintiff was order for seared fish and water. While waiting for her meal to arrive, she consumed only water and did not eat any other food items. I'm like, okay, got it. Upon information and a belief, and thereon alleged, the fish ordered by plaintiff was Seared Alaskan halibut. When plaintiff's meal arrived, she observed white fish covered with an orange cream sauce on her plate, along with broccoli and potatoes. Plaintiff began eating the fish first, before the potatoes and broccoli. This is
1: so much detail. Uh, I'm sorry to, to think of who she might be. She just seems like someone that first doesn't eat. I'm judging you for that, not Yeah, eating all day. <laughs> Ordering fish <laughs> when you haven't eaten all day. Maybe that's why she's, like, healthy and fit, but... But then, like, she seems like someone that takes meticulous notes of everything. Well, it's
2: like, I don't know if this is her or if the plaintiff's attorney put this much detail in there. But typically, like, I mean, it's like, I don't know. It's like. But she probably told him to. I know. The way it's written, she's written like a Karen. And she may be a really lovely yes, person. That's what I was trying to get at. <laughs> and people get mad when we say Karen. And I, like, if, I, there's plenty of wonderful people named Karen. but Of course. And in fact, on Potomac, Karen is one of my favorites. But. So we're not like. I'm just saying, like, don't get mad, Karen's. Although that is like the most Karen thing you can do is complain,
1: because <laughs> <laughs> your name's Karen and we're calling her out for being a Karen. Uh,
2: I mean, that's like. There's like, it's just that's how. I mean, she. This is written in the tone of a Karen.
1: Right. Right.
2: Okay. So. So she gets the fish. Okay, yeah, Yeah. Approximately one hour into eating her meal. Plaintiff's head suddenly whipped back, causing her body to move forwards as well, and she felt a hot sensation rise from her stomach into her chest and then into her throat that she was unable to control. I am reading this exactly as it is written. This is fact number 29 on page 5 of the complaint. This is not me editorializing. This is how it's written. As plaintiff fell back, she cracked a glass table behind her. This is super dramatic. Plaintiff's sister asked if plaintiff was okay, and plaintiff only had a moment to respond that she felt sick before her head came forward while vomit filled her mouth and plaintiff began vomiting profusely. Plaintiff then fell to her side and then to the floor, landing on one knee where she continued to vomit and also defecate through her clothing. Okay, just this is all, I'm this is this, this all this happened, it's awful. I feel bad, but also like reading this, like I want to read it to my husband and have him reenact it. <laughs>
1: No, it sounds like um, instructions for a play. It,
2: it, yeah, like, like these are stage directions almost. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, yeah. Plaintiff fell to her side, then to the floor, landing on one knee, where she continued to vomit and also defecate through her clothing. Plaintiff was unable to stop vomiting or defecating as she kneeled on the floor, causing plaintiff's clothing to soil. Plaintiff's family surrounded her, asking for help. Plaintiff was not able to respond. Her family did the vomit and defecation, which caused plaintiff to feel confused and shocked. During this time of stuff, I'm sorry... But I'm imagining this whole scene, and it shouldn't be funny. During this time, a staff member at defendant, sir, came over and began throwing water on plaintiff on the ground around her. So I'm just imagining, like, this is not, I mean, they weren't there at the time, but I'm imagining, like, Jax and Kristen just throwing buckets of water on this woman. (laughs)
1: Like, make her stop. It's just so ridiculous.
2: Okay, okay, okay. I'm going to pull it together. I am professional. Okay, they called 911, and then eventually emergency services arrived at it says subject restaurant, but it's sir, and it says plaintiff who is continuing to vomit and defecate. This is not funny. I'm sorry. Plaintiff was wheeled out of subject restaurant on a stretcher and promptly transported to Cedar Sinai Virgin Department, where she was admitted to the intensive care unit. This is bad. I shouldn't be laughing.
1: Yeah. So she claims she lost seven to eight pounds from all of this. She was in the intensive care unit for three days. She says a cook and a manager were terminated after the incident. And she saw the fish out and unattended for some period of time. Yeah, so 78 pounds is a lot. And then I wonder, how was she vomiting so much and apparently defecating so much after not having eaten all day?
2: Yeah. The, but I'm I mean, not. Yeah,
1: medical. we're not doctors.
2: We cross-examine doctors. pet <laughs> expert witnesses. But right. I, don't, I don't, that's like having not eaten anything all day and then to vomit and defecate that much. Does food poisoning come on that fast? It almost seems like an, like if it's happened, like the way she's described, no it almost seems idea. like an allergic reaction. But the, the problem is the way it's described in the complaint, it sounds like a Saturday Night Live skit or something, you know. <laughs> right.
1: Right. Right. And, and when I was reading this, I was wondering how much is an uh, assumed risk by ordering food or not ordering food, <laughs> by
2: ordering fish. Well, was it raw <laughs> it's fish? Like, it was it, not scared. Sierra I understand.
1: But still... But still, there is a risk when you order fish, just like there's a risk when you go to Chipotle, just like there's a risk when you go to Taco Bell. Like, how much is an assumed risk? And it wasn't surprising to me that that was a defense that Sir made, that there was some level of assumed risk here. And
2: Assumption of risk for ordering food at a restaurant?
1: I don't... I think there is a risk with ordering fish. If you're fish. ordering,
2: like, I think uh, sushi or raw fish, you assume some of, of the course. risk, but like seared halibut, I don't mm-hmm.
1: think there should be... I think there is. Well, that's an argument that they made. I don't like that argument. I'm just being. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: you should be able to order cooked fish and not assume risk if you're ordering it
1: from a restaurant. Well, it's usually raw or undercooked that's fish. What I so would there is a risk, agree. but there okay, there is a risk that fish can be undercooked, and that's usually the warning label that you see on menus. It's raw or undercooked fish. So I think that was the argument that there's some assumed risk when you order fish that you can get sick. And then there, there was also some argument that she bared some of the the damages here kind of by not eating, <laughs> not eating all day and then ordering fish. So,
2: I mean, uh,
1: that's just their, that's just their arguments. I'm not saying I'm agreeing know, with them. I I am just providing the facts.
2: I'm just running this through my head. Like like, I feel like fault to her. I feel like for cooked fish, there should not be, innocent, but for sushi or like shellfish or something you know if you're eating raw oysters I think there's a risk like there's I don't know I think there's a risk
1: with all seafood truly
2: I don't know I don't know enough about food science or cooking or (laughs) I know that I am allergic to shellfish and that I hadn't I'd gone to the hospital twice like as a teenager and then I hadn't eaten it for decades and right before COVID hit, I had gone to my allergist and been like, can we test me to see, I'd really, cause I really have this dream of one day eating crab legs and butter and it just looks like it's so good. And I was like, can I just like do the testing, like to see if I'm still allergic? And I passed the patch test and then they did a blood test after they like injected me with a little bit of it. And then I was supposed to come in to the allergist office with whatever shellfish I wanted to eat. That didn't have any seasoning or butter or anything on it, and then eat it in front of them so that they could like deal with me if I like had a reaction again. But then COVID hit, and that was really low on the priority list. <laughs> I still have never eaten any of that stuff. But, but if you did, if I did, that would be my fault. Yeah, you because couldn't. I know for that. that I am allergic to 100%. right hundred percent. Like, it would be my fault. Right. So, I thought it was interesting that this complaint has uh,
1: Yelp reviews in oh, it. Oh, I was going to say that too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Talk about those. Yeah, (laughs) she put in some Yelp reviews in here to show that SIR was on notice or that there had been prior issues with their food. And I guess, I guess, (laughs) like you show that other people have gotten food poisoning here too. I mean, it's not admissible in court, but
2: yeah, just, I mean, there's three Yelp reviews in here that are very specific about food poisoning from 2016. So.
1: Yeah, and according to her, they got rid of the cook and the manager. So presumably you won't be getting sick off of this fish, which I would never order with orange sauce.
2: Where do we want to go next? How would they know they terminated the cook and the manager? I have to say, like, orange sauce on fish, on white fish, sounds gross.
1: Disgusting. Just Yeah. Yeah. It's not her fault that she ordered it, but I would never order that after a day of not eating and traveling. <laughs> But
2: no, you want some like nice potatoes,
1: maybe a steak to I each think. his own, to each yeah. his own. So she, it was dismissed with prejudice across all parties in July 2020. So I think we can again presume that perhaps it settled.
2: Yeah, I would, I mean, yeah, definitely. I yeah, presumed it settled. Oh, that was gross. <laughs> <laughs> I, that was the most descriptive. I mean, they could have just said that she got really sick and felt ill. And I was surprised that there wasn't, like, with the way they described how she, like, her head flew backwards and she hit a glass table and then she fell. I was surprised there wasn't also damages alleged for, like, bodily injury.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, because her only only causes of action were negligence, products liability, and breach of an implied warranty.
2: Yeah, I was surprised there weren't.
1: Yeah, like cracked a
2: glass table, but yeah, I was surprised there weren't damages for like yeah. like actual physical injuries.
1: Well, this is the second case where there was a glass table involved, so take with that. With you will, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Life is full of
0: awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods. All at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.
1: Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems. But getting therapy has its own problems, too. Like finding the right therapist So now we're moving on to Villa Blanca. This was a lawsuit filed in October 2020 by the building manager of where Villa Blanca was located for unpaid rent, and this is, I think, according to Lisa Vanderpump, why it, or part of the reason why the restaurant ended up closing. So they were sued for eighty thousand dollars in alleged unpaid rent for. Villa Blanca. The original lease was signed in two thousand nine. It said that they were obviously record required to pay rent, and they didn't. And instead, unilaterally terminated the lease, which they weren't supposed to or allowed to, according to the lease.
2: Yeah, and it was shut down obviously because of COVID. And then they. It looks like Lisa and Ken claim that. Due to the COVID-19 ordinance in Beverly Hills, that the rent wasn't due because of the stuff that was put in place. Because obviously restaurants and bars couldn't be open during COVID for quite a while.
1: Warlock. <laughs> <Poor> <laughs> wasn't there like rent abatement in different cities? I know there was for tenants of apartments.
2: I know. like So like the courts were shut down. And so like evictions, there was like a, a moratorium on right. evictions for both written and then also in just reality because you couldn't get into court to evict your tenants. So that happened for a long time. So...
1: Yeah, so she released a statement lisa vanderpump about this lawsuit and she said quote if the landlord had been willing to renegotiate and the lease wasn't ending we would have reopened but unfortunately with coronavirus the situation was beyond our control however she didn't shut the door on villa blanca completely she said while saying goodbye to the location where where we have actively served the beverly hills community for 12 years and employed hundreds of angelinos is a sad time for us. We we're excited to perhaps bring Philip Bonka back in the future at a different location. Well, because they probably won't let them rent from them again, as its staff and customers have always been a family.
2: So the plaintiff in this is, an, is alleging $320,947.44 plus interest from October 2020 through January 2021 commercial leases are expensive y'all that's it which it shocked me to see this and learn that they didn't own their commercial property i always assumed they did i just assumed that they were buy and but I, i'm sure it's even if you're super rich i'm sure it's really hard to buy property in that area mm-hmm. cuz why would you ever sell it if you're a commercial property owner you can just rent it out and make money
1: do we know the outcome of this one is it still going this one's still going. Okay. So
2: we don't know. Yeah, as far as I can tell from the docket, it's still ongoing. And then they attach the entire lease, which is like ninety pages long, and is not super interesting. Just
1: <laughs> we will not be covering the lease. <laughs>
2: yes. So there's that.
1: So another lawsuit. Moving on to the next one that Villa Blanca faced. Was by West Central Produce for unpaid fruits and vegetables, and they were sued in March 2020. It was, oh, it was Pump and Villa Blanca, excuse me. Uh, they claim Villa Blanca owed nearly $9,000 in unpaid fruits and veggies, and Pump owed over $9,000 in fruits and vegetables. I just thought that was fun to include because what the heck. (laughs) I mean, sure, it's the same
2: thing. I had friends who owned uh, bars and restaurants during COVID. And it's, you know, it's it's like a, so the restaurant shut down. So then not only is like the staff unable to get paid, but then the, like all of the vendors aren't getting, I mean, there's a huge like chain effect of, people. It's like, well, how can I, you know, I don't need the fruits and vegetables. I know that I put in an order for them and that maybe you're delivering them, but I don't need them, but it's a contract. So,
1: yeah. I actually misread that. That was actually the last payment in March 2020 that was made for the fruits and vegetables. The company's actually suing for roughly $100,000 for unpaid fruit and veggie bills. Yeah. That's a lot. (laughs) What's our next one?
2: The next one, I think, is the Vanderpump
1: Dogs. Oh, gosh. Skip ahead on this one, too, if you don't like gross scoopiness. <laughs> this one I know was highly publicized as well, because I remember reading it on Reddit. I guess before we get into the lawsuit, the next two lawsuits are about Vanderpump Dogs. So, okay. Vanderpump Dogs was founded in 2016. It's a 501c3 dog rescue organization, and we discussed what that means on our Mary Cosby Tax episode. And it works on both domestic and international fronts to help create a better world for dogs. It offers adoptions and dog grooming. It also had a TV show on Peacock. There has been one season with six episodes. And before recording, I decided to watch some of them by fast forwarding quickly through two episodes because I was trying to see if anyone that is involved in these lawsuits popped up on the show, Mm. but they didn't. So anyway, it's kind of interesting. I might sit down and watch it if I ever need a background show. It shows them like preparing dogs for adoption, like cleaning them up with grooming. And showing interviews with people and they come out and bring different dogs. It's sort of like say yes to the dress, but for adoptable dogs.
2: Aw, that's cute. I would watch it if it was about cats.
1: (laughs) (laughs) The pups are really cute, though. She's doing great. I love love everything she does with the dogs. Like the Yulin rescues and stuff like that. Uh, But yeah, so (laughs) this lawsuit.
2: I'll read this one as well so you don't have to. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So plaintiff inquired as to, and so this plaintiff is at Vanderpump Dogs, an available brown female Dotson, Dotson puppy named Cassie. Based on information, believed Cassie had not yet received deworming at the time. Said employees did, however, advise plaintiff it was completely safe to hold and interact with Cassie, which plaintiff did. After spending several hours with Cassie, Vanderpump Dogs staff asked plaintiff if she was interested in adopting Cassie. Plaintiff submitted an application for the adoption of Cassie. Her adoption application was approved. So she comes back the, the same day at approximately 4.15 p.m., plaintiff returned to Vanderpump Dogs to finalize Cassie's adoption and submitted a requisite payment of $680. That's, isn't that a lot? That's a lot. That is a lot.
1: I paid $300 for Buddy, which was a lot as well, but they did everything for him. So yeah, 680 is a lot.
2: That's a... I'm trying to like... I mean, one of my cats I got from Austin Pets Alive on Kittenpalooza, which they literally like hand out free cats. And I think... He let's Warlock, who you guys have heard speak on the podcast on multiple occasions. He, I think, was found behind a trash can and <laughs> came up with him for free. Our other cat's like a very expensive cat. And that's my husband's cat.
1: A lot of rescues will charge the amount that they put in if they can get mm-hmm. away with it. And so that's kind of what my the rescue I adopted from did as well, because Bud came to them in a rough shape so i was happy Aww. to pay whatever because they had to go through with it
2: i would have paid 680 dollars for warlock yeah outcome. prior to finalizing the adoption plaintiff asked Vanderpup dog's staff many questions about cassie specifically inquiring as to her health the staff assured plaintiff that cassie was a puppy in healthy condition and that all necessary treatments and shots had been rendered to cassie okay so this is already kind of interesting because she apparently asked them if it was safe to play with Cassie when she got there because she's I guess, knew that Cassie hadn't had the, been dewormed or whatever, had all the shots yet, and they said it was fine. But then she comes back the same day and is told that everything has already been done. So, yeah, so the staff assured her that the puppy was in a healthy condition and that all necessary treatments and shots have been rendered to Cassie. At said time, pup dogs provided a plaintiff with a false, and this is just an allegation, in the complaint a false immunization record for cassie and a false certification that cassie was dewormed believing defendants plaintiff completed the adoption and brought cassie home that same evening plaintiff noticed cassie acting irregularly specifically the playful loving puppy from earlier that day was repeatedly scooting across the floor and appeared to be in distress i'm assuming she means like that thing dogs do when Mm -hmm. they rub their butt Mm -hmm. on the floor
1: that's usually not a good sign
2: no plaintiff became increasingly concerned as cassie's behavior did not abate Late in the evening on July 16th, 2019, plaintiff made the dis- disturbing discovery that Cassie was expelling large live worms while defecating. Ugh. It's harder to say that. Fast forward. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah. That's it. Like, if they had given the dog the treatment, the dog does have to expel right, worms.
1: Right. That doesn't necessarily mean that they
2: didn't do right. it. And the dog is like feeling not well and then expelling worms that probably, I mean, logically, it's like probably had some sort of dewormer. So at the same time, plaintiff immediately contacted Vanderpump Dogs via calls and text messages, but she received no response until the following day, July 17, 2019. Plaintiff rushed Cassie to a pet hospital immediately where Cassie was treated for a serious worm infection. Over the next several days, plaintiff herself began to feel increasingly ill. If you really don't like gross stuff, just
1: honestly fast forward this part.
2: Yeah, just fast forward like two minutes.
1: This part's gross. Uh,
2: Yeah, (laughs) Wow. OK, this, I'm reading this exactly as it came from the complaint. Exactly. So this is paragraph 21, page four of the complaint. Quote, over the next several days, plaintiff herself began to feel increasingly ill. To plaintiff's horror, she herself began to expel live worms and eggs from her mouth, vagina, and anus. What?
1: <laughs> like that
2: day? The next, says, the next day. She says over the next several days. How, how would they get in her vagina?
1: I don't know. Don't I'm think not, that's correct. I'm not Googling any of that.
2: No. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> no. No. Like the horrors that would appear. Nobody Googled that ever. No. Uh, but I don't understand the vagina part. That doesn't make sense. Okay, so that's July 17th, and it says over the next several days, and then paragraph 22 of the complaint, it says, on or about July 23rd, 2019, plaintiff was diagnosed with internal parasites and received potent medication due to the severity of the infestation. In addition to her grave physical injuries, plaintiff was utterly traumatized and continues to suffer from severe emotional distress, shock, disgust, and nightmares, which, I mean... Considering the reaction we had just reading that, that doesn't disgust is <laughs> valid. That is a valid. A lot of times when people claim emotional distress and complaints, I'm like, come on. Uh, this one is, yeah. If that, if if these allegations are in any way true, yes, you have you have suffered from or like <laughs> emotional damage.
1: To break in for a second, so I was always afraid of quicksand like we talked about talked about mm-hmm. but i was also afraid of like accidentally finding a tapeworm inside of me oh my god me too <laughs> okay. i was always like because like
2: my grandpa used to make jokes because i was these like you're so skinny you have worms and then oh i was like god. do i ha-
1: really have worms so what, i watched some show way back when and it was like i don't know it's probably called nasty stuff that can happen to you <laughs> it's like if you find a tapeworm you have to pull it out you have to get the head so that's like, you didn't know that? I don't know anything about tapeworms, thank God. Okay, well, <laughs> I do. <laughs> and if you have a tapeworm, you can, like, see it dangling out of you, and you have to pull it <gasps> out and make sure the head comes off. Otherwise, it keeps growing. It's like it's like a little bracket of a worm. To
2: be clear, we're not giving medical advice in addition to not
1: giving legal <laughs> advice. <laughs> and I'm so sorry that I just shared that. Please don't unsubscribe. Wow, okay. Yeah, but that's okay. disgusting. But apparently you can get worms from dogs. We were discussing this right before we recorded, so I decided to go onto WebMD. And you can get it from your dog kissing you. You don't know where your dog's mouth has been, so you can definitely get worms from your dog. So
2: I feel very superior having only cats at the moment. It's not that I dislike dogs, but... You can get stuff from cats, can't you? I know. You can get, like, the the crazy cat lady disease Mm -hmm. if you have, like, outdoor cats. And they have—my cats are indoor cats. So, yeah, I know. Cats cause problems, too. I'm not saying. I'm just being
1: that cat lady (sighs) right now. So that case is still going on. That's another one that we'll probably have to provide an update with if there's an outcome.
2: How much does it say? Do we know how much she is demanding?
1: I think it might be whatever the court deems necessary. Yeah, general damages, cost of the suit, other relief special damages, all yeah, that so good stuff.
2: Result, yeah, so as intentional planners was forced to seek and pay for emergency medical treatment for Cassie, suffered the emotional distress of having adopted an ill puppy that was expelling large live worms mm. while defecating, and spent time and money sanitizing her home in attempt to rid it of the worms. Plaintiff incurred thousands of dollars in her own medical treatment in an attempt to rid herself of the parasite transmitted by Cassie and suffered an unconscionable amount of pain and emotional distress as a direct result. But, like, how to – okay, but she gets the dog. Here's – and I'm just lawyering right mm-hmm. now, okay? So she gets the dog on the 17th, and then she says by the 23rd that she is having – like, she's expelling worms. Do worms grow that fast? I don't know. Google how fast do, like par- –
1: <laughs> These worms yeah. What would it be, like, a roundworm?
2: Hey, dogs get—I mean, she wouldn't get heartworms, So, right? So it'd be, like, round, roundworm?
1: So there's, like, a hookworm. You could get a roundworm, a hit You could get tapeworm from dogs. Ew. Let's see. Okay, so it says it takes four weeks for worms to grow in dogs. So let's see, in humans—
2: yeah, if I were the defense attorney on this one, I'd be getting a worm expert and filing, like, a
1: mm-hmm. summary judgment and being like, there's absolutely... Yeah, so after eggs are swallowed, it takes about two weeks for the worms to grow in. But that's for thread worms, and I don't even know what that is. I'm just... Google the first result. So, I, just, I think you might be right. It might take longer. Because that's only seven days. Maybe they both had a pre-existing condition of worms.
2: I say, like, logically, it makes sense that the puppy would start expelling worms, if it had worms, and then they gave it the treatment. Mm -hmm. I I like seven days to be expelling worms out of like every orifice just seems really fat for a human. That seems really fast. But I don't know. I'm not a worm expert.
1: Who knows? To be fair, though, here Vanderpump dogs filed their answer, and it's jack full of affirmative defenses. There's failure to mitigate. There's a waiver, unclean hands estoppel and latches no actionable controversy they like threw the kitchen sink in in their answer so i mean it's fair
2: you want to you want to allege all of them that you can yeah well i'm going to be interested to see how this one turns out me
1: too me too
2: i really hope there's a fight over an expert and the expert report gets filed so we can
1: (laughs) read about the worms well i want to yeah i want to know all right so lastly for this episode Oh, which I forgot to mention that this might be two parts. Maybe part two will be next episode or a future episode because Lisa Vanderpump has a ton of employment lawsuits against her. Anyway, Vanderpump Dogs' next one is a wrongful termination and sexual harassment lawsuit. This involves um, a woman who was a dog groomer at Vanderpump Dogs for two months, and she alleges that her supervisor was making inappropriate comments to her, things that she Alleges were harassment. She claims he mocked her by calling her "skinny no ass fool" and a "flat ass bitch." That is in the complaint. He also, like, she is a lesbian, and he tried to say things that were like, "I can change you," or "You haven't found the right man yet." Just inappropriate comments.
2: Oh yeah, he said he told her he could turn her straight, and that she had not found the right man on numerous occasions. He also claimed that he turned the
1: mother of his child straight. Ew. Mm-hmm. So she said that she also complained to her superiors and no one did anything. So she was suing for unlawful harassment based on sex, gender, and sexual orientation and violation of FEHA, and then wrongful termination because she really had no choice but to resign. The answer for this one is also... Jack full of affirmative defenses. They really went for it in their response. But the lawsuit was eventually dropped. We don't we don't know if there was a, a, lo- a settlement for this one as well.
2: I mean, these things usually will settle. I yeah. mean, if they because I mean, it's a good assumption that if a case is dismissed, and there isn't a summary judgment that's disposed of the claims that it has settled because the a lot of times the insurance companies will settle it because it's cheaper right. to settle it than to keep litigating it and paying attorneys.
1: I forgot to mention one of the arguments they made is that she also was making provocative comments at work. So it might have been like a back and forth that they were having at work, which we don't know. We don't know.
2: Yeah, we're going to, in the future employment episode, we're going to get, like, really a lot more into detail about what you have to claim and what you have to allege. And we'll probably talk about it more on the federal level. And then also, you know, how you file claims with the EEOC and all of that. But this one was pretty, pretty short. It does have so like they they did have to file a thing with the Department of Fair Employment and Housing, which is a California
1: agency. Yeah. Yeah. There were some administrative steps you had to take before filing.
2: Yeah, and we'll go into all that in an employment law episode.
1: Yeah, so that'll be our next LVP episode. But this is is kind of like the miscellaneous lawsuits that Vanderpump has faced. Wide range, wide range. Anything else to add for this one? Yeah, I just thought it was interesting to look at the docket and see
2: how, like, when Vanderpump Rules started airing and then the amount of lawsuits spiking Mm. greatly. Mm -hmm. So there's all the attention being drawn to that from the reality show. And then it also made me think of the Toms. And it's like watching them on Vanderpump Rules not know anything about business. And it's like, this is the kind of stuff that you have to like know. Like you need to know how to negotiate a commercial lease. Like I have no doubt that Ken Todd, who signed that commercial lease, did an excellent job like negotiating what they needed. You have to know like what type of liability insurance you need. You have to understand like how to train your employees to respond to lawsuits. And it's like, who in their right mind would go? I mean,
1: the Toms are entertaining, but like,
2: who would go into business with them? Would you go into business with one of the Toms, Ceci?
1: Yeah, I mean, I would go into business with them because they have a fan base, but not, <laughs> you know, not yeah, legitimate business. Yeah. But it is interesting to see the various types of lawsuits that can come out of owning just a restaurant. Uh, there's so much. So, not anything I want to do. <laughs> uh, I didn't
2: expect so many of them to involve vomiting and or worms.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, that's LVP number one. Yeah, we'll be working on our next episode, which comes out in two weeks. And planning on some sort of coverage for Jen Shaw, which we're still ironing out. So, That can be expected if it proceeds. So we will see. Oh, don't forget about our merch. Check it out. Yes. Yes. Oh, I am wearing it right now. (laughs) I was like, I think I'm wearing it right now. I am wearing it right now. It's the comfiest shirt ever. So check it out.
2: Yeah, it's pretty cute. I have the bag. I'm going to order more stuff soon. It's really cute. My sister ordered the sweater. Looks really cute on her. I
1: have stickers everywhere. Anyway, (laughs) thanks for listening. Bye.
0: Pack your bags with high quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to Quince.com slash pack for free
1: shipping and 365-day returns. The Bravo Docket is part of the ACAST Creator Network.